Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Do it for the team. The free COVID vaccine is FDA authorized for kids five and up. Do it for your besties and the resties. It's safe for your child and can help protect their friends. Do it for birthdays. And help protect your family. And game night. When you give your child the vax, you give them the power to learn. Do it for field trips. And campouts. To experience and big hugs and to be a kid get your child vaccinated and give them the power paid for with pennsylvania taxpayer dollars if you're struggling with alcohol or drugs recovery centers of america can help the holidays are over the new year is here and the time to act is now expert private care at recovery centers of america will get you on the road to recovery today so call 1-888-RECOVERY-NOW At our fully accredited, world-class treatment center in Monroeville, Pennsylvania, you will be treated with compassion, dignity, and respect by our dedicated team of professionals. You will also benefit from specialized programs, 24-hour medical care, and the comfort of our outstanding facilities. Let us help you. We will answer your call 24-7 and can get you into treatment as soon as today. If outpatient care is right for you, you can receive a same-day assessment and attend therapy in person or virtually. And because we accept most private insurance plans, you get premium care without the premium price. Don't wait. Start your new year. Start your new life today. Call 1-888-RECOVERY now. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. Sports are starting to come back, and Podcast One Sportsnet has got all the action covered. With tons of different sport ca- podcasts, there is something for everyone. Check out The Rich Eisen Show for your daily coverage, The Steve Austin Show for your favorite stories from Steve Austin's amazing career, The Deegans with Metamilitia star Brian Deegan and his extreme sports-loving family, plus many more. As sports return, please be sure to tune in to all the great podcasts with Podcast One Sportsnet so you don't miss any action. Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I am Daniel, Orr, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. I love to do a two games in podcast, especially in the first round, because it's a good calibrator of kind of where things have gone. You don't have as much of the overreactions from the game one surprises, get more evidence for all these things. And a great person to have on for that is Seth Partnow, my colleague at The Athletic and longtime guest of this show. And so we go through not only all eight series and kind of where things are now, but also some takeaways that could affect these teams long term. And in the cases where we felt comfortable with it, a little bit on where a potential round two could go, some of the matchups and stories that are interesting there. Really enjoyed the conversation, as I really always do with Seth. Uh, Brought to you by Bet Online. Use the Podcast One promo code. 
to tell them you came from us and get an awesome sign-up bonus. And then this pod runs about an hour. I think you'll really enjoy it. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me back. <laughs> we, there is a lot that we can talk about, and it's it's some ways hard to figure out kind of the, the process here. But I think the kind of the big picture thing I was thinking about today, it ended up happening, you know, kind of with a lot of teams that that I expected to win series, winning series. It's just from what we've seen so far, what has what has kind of aligned with what you expected and what has really deviated the most from what you expected? Hmm. I mean, obviously, the the one seeds losing the first their first games was a deviation. Um, I kind of think that that's more going to turn out to be kind of a narrative blip in terms of sequencing. Um, you know, the Lakers did not miss every shot tonight, and so won comfortably, and the Magic did not make every shot tonight, so uh, the Bucks ran won reasonably com- comfortably. Even though I think the Bucks especially aren't really close to full. You know, fully operational in terms of, especially on offense, their their flow hasn't been good. Um, I think those are the two most, I would say, surprising things. Yeah, I mean, especially considering the the Magic's struggles going into the bubble. I mean, I think a lot of us, including myself, expected them to finish seventh, and the Nets really outplayed them. And the Nets have they've lost twice, but I think that they've looked pretty good. For me, I think what it has been is. I didn't sufficiently appreciate Patrick Beverly's importance to the Clippers' perimeter defense, and part of it is just supply, you know, personnel. That outside of him, it puts a lot more on Lou Williams, puts a lot more on Landry Shamit, puts a lot more on Reggie Jackson, and there are ways around that. But I thought that you know, like overall in this in the series so far with Dallas, yes, the Clippers, it's tied one to one. I would say Dallas has outplayed them for a majority of the first two games. And that is not something I expected. That might be, although I'm not sure, and I wrote about this the other day, I'm not sure what Patrick Beverly's matchup is in this series. Um, I don't think he can, I don't think he's a great matchup for Luka. I mean, I think the the couple times he's kind of matched up there, it's it has not been pretty. Um, and, and, and evidently Doc thinks so too, because even in game one when he played, uh, Beverly barely guarded Luka. Right. Well, I think it's more the idea of kind of like the path of least resistance stuff. And, you know, you see it more with the Rockets than a lot of other teams, but it it can still be true. And when you get into a series, especially with a coach like Rick Carlisle that knows what he's doing, a lot of times the the kind of the idea in the base – some of the base concepts is go after the weak link. And when you replace Patrick Beverly with a flawed defender and in most cases a bad defender, then that makes it a little bit easy. And yeah, sure, there's still been times that they put various people. I mean, Marcus Morris is at the primary assignment on Luca, but that is one part of it. And then the other thing, I talked about this a little bit with Nate on Wednesday night's podcast, is there's long been this idea that playing a, a, a floor spacing big man, especially if they're a center, that like one of the benefits there is that you can go four out, but you just have a different interior guy. So you can you can have a non shooter at let's say the three or whatever, and you can survive it. But I think one one thing we're seeing with Dallas, even though Cleve has been reluctant shooter and some of the other guys, is that one of the other things you could do is actually just play five out, and it just makes it so much harder for opponents to have capable help defense. And that's something that you know is is true with the Clippers when they're away from Zubats anyway. But I think it's it's something that I hadn't really processed as much is that they have a lot of good defenders but they're good in a specific way and not as much in the help reaction part oh that could be that that, that, that's that's an interesting way of looking at it i i still kind of um 
think the Clippers are largely going to be fine in that I, series. I, I agree. I, I think that it could be a longer I mean, I, series. Though. I don't think. I don't think. Like I don't think Dallas is ever going to stop them. <laughs> is is the is 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 the flip side of that? Um, you know, I think uh, Paul George is going to play better than he did on on uh, on whatever day Thursday, Wednesday, Wednesday. Days of the week, of course. <laughs> like the, it's it's funny, even though we're we're on like a like a basketball schedule again. Like the days of the week are even more confusing than they were kind of during the the general quarantine time. But Wednesday, uh, I guess you know uh, Paul George wasn't great, and uh, um, that certainly contributed. But I think that I think the Clippers will 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 handle this from um, especially as as it kind of seems uh, sort of an. Uh, and it, it seems like uh, Porzingis is kind of going to be battling a, a sore knee for the rest of Dallas's time in the postseason this year. And at some point that that has to have an effect for, you know, such a top heavy team. It does. And a team that doesn't really I mean, Cleveland can do some of it, but not most of it. A team that doesn't really have a suitable replacement. And that that's a, even if it's a discount version that there there is value in that but there aren't you know that's part of the reason why that term unicorn got so popular is because there aren't that many players who can do that and yeah. I, I think that the clippers yeah it's it's not it's not dire for them but also i think that there's dallas has a higher capacity like it, it, kind of going on some of those old tropes but i mean you do see this a fair amount of young teams needing some time to figure it out and yes the first four minutes or whatever it was of game one was was that you know they Clippers were yeah. pressuring. They defended really well. Things were getting out of hand, and I don't think you know all settled, all solved now. But they did look more comfortable with with that kind of approach, getting used to getting used to what they had to do, the changes in expectations. And the other thing, though, that I think is really helpful for the Clippers. Well, one thing they dealt with a lot of kind of like weird stuff within the bubble. You know, guys leaving, but well, we don't know what Beverly's availability is. But like Montrezl Harrell will continue to look physically better. I mean, that's just something that's going to happen over this time. Maybe not dramatically so, but you know, two days off between game, two days between games, not two days off, um, will, will be significant. And then the other part that I think is an important development for for the Clippers is as well as the Jazz have played in moments, there there isn't anything yet that I've seen from the Clippers' potential second round opponent if they make it through Dallas that makes me think those teams will pose similar problems. I think that the Clippers, it, it's an unusual circumstance, but not an unprecedented one that their second round series will fall more to their laps than their first. Hmm, that's a, that's that's an interesting. I mean, I guess there's nobody in either of those series that is as as unique a cover as as Luca is, um, as well as Mitchell has played for the the first couple of games of that series. Um, yeah, I think that I think that they are just from a from a a body standpoint. Seems like they have more people they can credibly throw at him than Luca. And and honestly, the the one thing we've talked we the, they haven't really broken glass on the uh, okay. Put Kawhi on him. Um, yeah, if, just, they were going to do that in the fourth quarter of game two, and then the fourth quarter, Luca picked up his fifth foul, and we never really got yeah, to see it. Right, and, and also neither of those teams, and, and arguably the Mavericks as well. I, I mean, I think that's fair though. Kleba's done a decent job. None of them have somebody to defend Kawhi, and I think that getting a little bit more vanilla and just leaning on that as as the Raptors did sometimes, <laughs> though Nick Nurse ran more. Well, <laughs> I'm just laughing thinking about uh, if if Michael Porter Jr. Uh, was matched up with Kawhi, what that would what that would. The, the like, carnage, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, considering that just putting him in a ball screen leads to like, makes, makes makes Joe Ingles look like John Stockton. Yeah, 
I mean, and, and the Jazz have played really well. And I, and I, I think that Mitchell, especially if Patrick Beverly is limited because calf injuries are tricky, if if that's the series that happens, the, the Clippers will have some trouble. I, th- I think that they will have some real challenges there. And Paul George, A, he isn't, hasn't looked like the defender that he was a few years ago overall. But also, he's not as good on, you know, faster guys. And Mitchell's not a water bug necessarily, but he is a very athletic dude. And I think that if if it's not Patrick Beverly, then a lot of the other guys could potentially pose problems. However, some of the kind of like overall ball movement and all that, I think that the Clippers, despite having some flaws in their rotation, they aren't the defensive group that the Nuggets are. And so I think that will make it. And also we could see something like the very beginning of game one of the, of the Clippers Maverick series, where just playing a capable defense again is a real challenge sometimes for teams to adjust to. And so I think the Clippers, if they're healthy, would have a big advantage in game one, just like with the Jazz or the Nuggets, whichever team is going, oh, this is what resistance feels like, because they're not getting a whole lot of it right now. Yeah, and the, the, also the I think the Clippers are better equipped to play kind of a little bit of a, of a run and jump. We saw, you know, Denver attempt something, of a trapping strategy to get the ball out of Mitchell's hands. And all it sort of did was, you know, point big signs to where he should pass the ball to get an open shot, either one or two passes later in game two. And I think the Clippers have kind of both the on ball size and also uh, the rotation ability, um, you know, around that to make that a little bit of a dicier proposition than sort of the uh, almost the, the press breaker drill that that Utah was doing for a lot of game two. Yeah, and, and I think that's a, a good transition into that Jazz Nuggets series. And and I was very critical of Denver after game one, which they won, because I started to see some of the writing on the wall, which I think was, you know, it, it was out an outlier to an extent in game two as well, because Utah made all of their threes, and that's not something that you expect to have happen. But the idea that concerned me as somebody who picked the Nuggets in the series during game one was I just I kind of realized in my my heart and my basketball analyst brain that they just can't defend the Jazz. They don't have that personnel. And especially now that it looks like, well, Barton isn't going to be back at all in the series. And we have no idea what's going on with Gary Harris, that they just they don't have the horses. They don't have the people to do that. And Denver, yes, they absolutely could win the series. I think that this is far from over. And we're recording this on Thursday. They'll play again on Friday. Friday. We'll see how we feel about it then. But that realization, just that they have so many bad defenders in there and that Utah can move the ball, like Joe Ingles, not only making Michael Porter Jr. look like he's made a paper mache, but also getting a blow by on Jokic in game one. It might have been game two. Um, that and, and so that was a little bit startling for me, not because I was the biggest believer in Denver's defense, but because they've tried a lot of things now and none of them have worked particularly well. I, so I think that that really the the thing is that they have to decide whether they want to if they're going to lose it's going to because be because Mitchell was extraordinary or the other guys in the Jazz were competent and they they are they have so far unbalanced in the series leaned a little too much into the latter I think like as good as Mitchell was in in Game One um, a lot of the shots he was making say so, okay. Um, and then they, they they put themselves in the position in game two where they kind of did the we're, – we're, we're neither taking Mitchell nor the other guys away. Um, and we're just going to get beat seven ways to Sunday. Um, and, and so that's you know um, either an over-adjustment, a misadjustment, or just plain playing bad. 
or a combination of all three. Right. And Denver has the talent to outscore the Jets. Absolutely. But they're going to need to be really consistent. Like, I mean, one of the things that struck me about game one was they, you know, they did win the game, but part of it was that mental mistake by Donovan Mitchell with the eight second violation. And also Denver got some better than expected contributions from some of the sport players and also Jamal Murray in a couple different pockets, especially fourth quarter and overtime was completely ridiculous. And that will happen. Absolutely. But it won't happen every single game. And I I think that the Nuggets, you know, they will have these bright moments, but it's it's I've I've talked I talk about this sometimes when my um it's like I especially when I was younger I used to do I used to be able to do long drives pretty fast and I w- people would ask kind of like how that happens and what I tell people is it's not about your top speed it's about making sure that you have a high lowest speed because then you're just basically you're humming along and then you're not going like you know whatever speed and then twenty below it or whatever you can do with that and I think that's part of what makes me concerned for the Nuggets in this series is that Utah has a very high minimum speed here. And so the Nuggets are going to need to hit higher in their variance in order to win games. Yeah, I suppose that's right. And I think we may have just underestimated, and you hit on this, we may have just underestimated the degree to which, you know, not having your starting two and three. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, especially, kind of, especially you know, when they're your only two perimeter defenders other than Tory yeah. Craig that are any good. Yeah. Like, you know, as as kind of interesting as as Porter Jr. has been, I think that the that he is you know every game he's a, he's a danger of giving up as much as he as he gets, um, well, perhaps more than the danger of that. And that's yeah, I, I think that's you know we we despite them having seeming a seemingly a, a never ending supply of interesting players, it's just like the their their the goodness of those players just has decreased and and. You know, we we didn't we didn't account for it as much as perhaps we should have. And I do feel especially. Bad. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was saying that like the big the big miss for this from the series was was oh Boyan's out so dot dot dot. Well, I mean, how much of a difference is how is Boyan that much better a player than than Will Barton? Is he that much more important a player to Utah than than uh, um, Will Barton is to Denver? Um, it's certainly in no- a more important and noisy sort of way, um, though the fact that Mitchell has played as well as he has 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 softened that a lot. Whereas there's nobody who's really, um, you know, given given Denver kind of uh, the the, the two way wing play that 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 Barton can. No, that's that's really true. And I've harped a lot on Portland's you know, Neil O'Shea's decisions to not play or to not to not prioritize forwards. I think that overall, especially non let's say non bigs. And so, you know, they are missing Trevor Reza, of course, in the in the Lakers series and less so in the seeding games just because of how things worked. But Denver, you know, like Will Barton deserves a lot of credit for getting better than than where he was, and I think he's become a more competent defensive small forward. But they don't even really have any lottery tickets there either. Like Jeremy Grant's a four, Paul Millsap's a four. I think they acquired Jeremy Grant thinking that he could eventually replace Paul Millsap. We'll see how that goes in the offseason. But Barton's a natural two to me, and Harris is. And so, and they don't even have, like, they have, remember they had Malik Beasley, who they traded, and Wancho. Neither of those guys is a natural three either. That's a four, uh, yeah. two and a four. That's a four and two, yeah. And, yeah. and so that's that in some ways that's like not that i want to talk about the series right now but like that's kind of the genius of of danny ainge is that yes you're going to miss on wings all the time but just have a bunch of them and maybe one or two of them work out and even if all they're giving you is 15 minutes a game you can't replace that 15 minutes if you don't have it 
And I think that it's a, it's a really interesting kind of decision-making thing, especially when you think about – like uh, Sam Vecini and I have talked about this for years, so, uh, about the idea of how much worse does a wing have to be to, be to be still be worth – to not be worth taking over, let's say, a center. And it is – I mean, that's not to say that every wing is great or everything like that, but it's just there. there is this idea of, of replacement value, and there are a lot of centers, and you can do it with a small guy, but you, there's a certain thing that, you know, if you don't have a six foot seven player who can competently defend and is reasonably strong, there are a couple teams that can make their way through smoke and mirrors, but not that many. Yeah, no, I mean, if we saw that in, in game two for portions of the game two of the Boston-Philly series that was relevant. And let us never speak of it again. Uh, was no was was you know Romeo Langford didn't like do much, but he didn't do anything negative, and he gave them some kind of okay. Gordon Hayward's out. Uh, we're maybe we're maybe one wing short. Okay, well we have this rookie who is you know he's not six seven, he's six five, but six five strong, live live and and you know can be out there and compete. And that's. This is something I've talked about with Sam. I've talked about a number of places. Is is that if there's if there's a through line to Ainge's drafting strategy, it is getting guys who have kind of the, the just the body strength to be able to uh, hold their own at their position and maybe even one position up, um, you know, against high level opposition. So in a pinch, you can throw a guy out there, and it's not just he's not lunch meat. Right, and I mean you can see the other team i think in some ways that has looked it hasn't always looked the same but i think there's some of that in daryl morey and the rockets too i mean like they had a lot they've had a lot of physically strong players even if they're a little bit shorter night i mean eric gordon harden is physically strong for his sight <laughs> ben mclemore is a big dude and like daniel house is pretty strong yeah. for, pretty pretty strong for his size like they have and incidentally the guy who isn't really is robert covington he just does other things well and of course pj tucker is a freaking house and they like there is a, a benefit. I remember the the series that catalyzed that for me was the the twenty sixteen Western Conference Finals, when I wondered how the Thunder were going to defend the Warriors, and I worried about guys like Dion Waiters. It's like, oh, if they're strong enough, they can kind of muddle their way through. And I thought I, I, it's something that I've gained a greater appreciation for since then. Yeah. Is there anything else? Uh, so we, we've kind of covered three series, and now I think it's good to to go into the fourth of the Western Conference ones before we move to the East. <laughs> to me. Thunder Rockets has largely gone the way I anticipated. My biggest concern was, can the Thunder generate reliable offense? And they have a couple of potential matchup guys. I mean, we've seen Gallinari have some moments, uh, but it's not consistent enough. And part of that, full credit to the Rockets' defense. I think the Rockets' defense has done a really good job, and especially in the second half of Game 2, but at other points as well. And a part of it is... Oklahoma City, like I've been critical of Billy Donovan before. Um, I, 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 as the kind of playoff adjustment tactician, I mean, I think going back to that series they had against Portland, is part of the playoffs is embracing your own strengths, and part of the playoffs is attacking your opponent's weaknesses and trying to negate their strengths if you can. And the, Houston has the clearest kind of modus operandi of any playoff team, really any team in the NBA, if we're being honest, if, if I'm, even if you're including the deleted eight or the eliminated teams. And I, th- it's I don't true. know. Some I, of those deleted eight teams have a clear modus operandi. It's just not a good one. That's fair. And, and I mean, I think back to, yeah, uh, sure, the Warriors-Rocket series from the last couple of years and everything else. But 
there are specific, you know, like being active off ball, getting getting the matchup that you want, knowing using Houston's tendencies as best you can against them. And I think that they that Donovan's done part of that. I think like at times when they've used Gallo well, I think that he he just can attack. And do you tell Gallo are you attack? I, so I don't I don't agree with you. Oh, you don't think don't, they've I done think... it enough or? No, I think I think they're the, so they are. I mean, you look at them, and I think they're the the two, either the two most or two of the three most ISO heavy teams in the league. And so, what's happening is OKC isn't forcing any movement anywhere on the defense. And fine, they're forcing a switch, but it's a switch into the same mismatch you had before. And now yeah. you're just isoing with four guys standing. And yeah, they've got some guys who are okay at at and decent isolation players, but you haven't stressed the defense at all. And so what happens is, like against other teams, Houston always has to work really hard defensively. Uh, I mean, kind of except for Harden at times. And even Harden is playing hard defensively right Agreed. now. But they're not. But you're not making them actually do much, so they can do not much, but they can do it at great intensity. And so their defense is just n- never getting stressed. Like fine, Shea gets a blow by occasionally and, and scores at the rim, but. How much like how many times are are does Houston even having to scramble at any point in in defensive possessions? And it's because like OKC kind of runs something like a two man action and they switch and then oh well look Gallo's got Eric Gordon on him so blah blah blah. And it's like Houston's like that's fine. Like ooh, you're okay, not you're Eric, not gonna be, you're not gonna beat them that way. Like unless yeah. you have unless you have some of the best isolation talent in the entire NBA, you need to do other stuff to get easy buckets. You need to get out in transition. They were only credited in their issues with how you how how fast break points are scored, but OKC only had five in game two, and yeah, yeah, you need to make. I, I think I think I was kind of getting to that thing of how they weren't making Houston work enough sure. off ball, but you you articulated it very well, and I, I think that OKC, yeah, it's it's kind of weird that they're in some ways it feels like their scheme is that they're betting on their talent, but their talent is worse and like markedly worse. And yes, Houston was better defensively, and I agree with you that there were reasons why they did. But it's not to me like offensively. I didn't think that they were unbelievable or anything like that in game two. They were good. They were they were plenty good, but they weren't unbelievable or anything like that. And so it's like I, I just think this is the way this series is going to go. I think that it's a you know whether it's five games or four games or maybe even six. I think that. Sometimes, and this will come up in a couple Eastern Conference series, the first two games, especially if it aligns with what you thought, you just go, okay, I think I know where this is going. And maybe it won't be specific point by point, but the general the general outline, the fuzzy part, I think that looks about right here. Yeah, I, I was actually largely because of Westbrook's absence. I was expecting this series to that series to be just a little more competitive. And now after two games, especially like, okay – a team get in, in in normal times. A team gets kind of handled pretty easily in the first two games on the road. Well, they're still going home, and things will change. Blah blah blah. Um, there's like the, there's not that like flip that's going to happen here. And I just what is um, uh, you know Oklahoma City is going to start running like a motion offense now. <laughs> I mean Chris Paul's teams have never been like high moves, and so. You're, you know, you're you're operating at a disadvantage. There's always going to be a, a hider on the floor. Like I asked during the game, um, how many threes is Lou Dort going to have to hit before Houston size to guard him? And I, that wasn't like, you know, oh my god, he's hitting a bunch of threes. I'm just like, how many do you let him hit before you guard him? And and the answer is all of them, a lot. Yeah, yeah, a lot. Like four or something like that is 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 the minimum number. And you know, he is probably their most like, yeah, no, he is their most credible guy they can put on Harden. 
So now you're ob- you're already you know giving up a one way mismatch that that um, in terms of, of a guy who's just a kind of a largely a zero offensively at this level, and he's you know he's competing against Harden, but it's still James Harden. Uh, so you're already starting in that hole, and then the fact that you know you you, you your best lineups doesn't have doesn't have a lot of shooting in it to be honest. Like you know against teams that you where you can create a crease and and drive and kick and penetrate and play with an advantage like the 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 Gilgis Alexander Paul Schroeder uh, Gallo Adams lineup like that can do some stuff, but against Houston who's just again playing in a shell defense and switching everything, what what edges are you creating? Yeah, and it's it's not easy. It's not like you're going to just feed Stephen Adams and get him 20 points a game. Like that's just not the type of player he is, and that takes a lot of work and takes positioning. And also, you can react to it. And there are certain big men who I think can do that. But Adams, no fault of his own, he's just not that guy. Would you go like? I mean, to me, the big the big thing, and I can't remember if it was you or Hollinger who was tweeting about this during the game. It might have been somebody else. I mean, we're all talking about the same stuff at the same time. <laughs> is I think the big. Thing they can try is going small at center like with Basley's probably the probably the option there because Nerland's you know yeah you can change your defensive scheme but fundamentally it doesn't change them offensively and I don't yeah. think it's going to work I, I really don't but as you were getting at down 2-0 in a neutral site series is so dramatically different than being down 2-0 where you're going home and I, I think that game three is when all of that stuff needs to happen you don't you can't save it for when your backs are against the wall because once your backs are against the wall it's done like it's it's not yeah. it's you, you don't get those kind of structural things and so it's a short turnaround and i agree with you okc is not going to change their entire offense between now and then and Yes, it's true that Billy Donovan and the coaching staff didn't have a ton of time knowing that Houston was their opponent. They had a couple days. Um, but they're not, the, a Tiger's not going to change its stripes. But I think that going to a higher, you know, a higher variance strategy, if we want to call it that, yeah. I think it's the time for it. Because if you don't, then it's a four or five game series and s- s- have fun going back home. Right. No, and, and, you know, you play one game and it's just like, oh, and then you're, you're so, okay, well, uh, CP is gonna is actually gonna struggle to create this series. Okay, we 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 know that now. Let's try something else. And then it just, I mean, the, the, again, the the number of times where they would run just desultory action on one side and like, oh well, we got Gallo against a, a short guy, so we'll throw it to him at eighteen feet and see what happens. And you know they got the you know occasionally Gallo made some stuff happen because he's a good player, but it's it's you know you're. You're you're swimming uphill if that's if that's the way you're playing against the team that was also by the way like the best isolation defensive team in the NBA this year right and has a lot of personnel that makes sense it's kind of the the other wrinkle of being a switch heavy team is that you turn you turn the other team into an isolation team and hopefully you're good at defending those and and, and they absolutely are and I, right. I think that it will be theoretically it'll be very interesting to see because I think everything now is kind of pointing towards a Rockets Lakers series especially thankfully for Damian Damian Lillard's injuries reportedly only a dislocation not a fracture but it seems like Lakers Rockets is where this is going and that tactical matchup gets really compelling yeah no I think that's we I mean the the Rockets was the first game after the the, the Covington trade that the the Rockets played the Lakers and everyone's like ooh this this could be interesting because the Lakers were just befuddled by you know how to play against uh, against that and um, you know you, you do figure that over the course of a series they they can they can make some adjustments but again 
the the rock the way the Rockets play is just so different than the way everyone else does, and the Lakers being at this point still down as much as they are on the perimeter. I mean, you know, Dion Waiters is 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 in the rotation now. Um, that's 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 where we are. Um, you know that that there's going to be a lot of of situations where how like how much can they play without one of of McGee and Howard on the floor? Like how many how can they get enough minutes just to do that? And or and if they try to play those guys, can those guys be on the floor and then not be disastrous? Like you know, yeah, obviously Houston has has some matchups the other way, but still, yeah, it's been it's been interesting to me, uh, especially in Game One of the Lakers Blazers series. It was this. I mean, Hassan Whiteside was absolutely demolished in the play in game, and Memphis. It's not like they are this small ball dynamo that just crushes right. that crushes just slow centers or anything anything crazy like that. They just kind of Kyle Anderson turned us on Whiteside in, in knots, and Nurkic was absolutely fantastic in that game, and Nurkic has been great in the bubble. But it was that all of a sudden they get on the Lakers series, and you're like, oh yeah, they can't really play him off the floor in that same fashion. And so you think about that, and then you flip it to a team that doesn't doesn't do any of that. The team that that often plays those type of guys off the floor, and as you got into, I mean. The there's always the, the, so there are two things that I think people get wrong about let's call it small ball but if Anthony Davis is at center it's not really that small but the it, one is like it's it's really hard to have help defense and rim protection and that's the you know there aren't many Draymond Greens out there and Anthony Davis if we're counting him as not a center which he is then then that could be one of the other exceptions but then the other one is you have to have a ton of wings like that's the only way it can work and that's part of why. The Bucks getting Marvin Williams was really important. It's why the Clippers getting Marcus Morris was important. Is because you need a lot of personnel to make that work. And not only due to Avery Bradley not being in the bubble and everything else, the Lakers just don't have that many guys. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's like Rondo being out does it hurt them? I mean, I I think that um, you know the funny funny jokes Rondo being out. Oh, Lakers just got better kind of thing, but. If you've got to give minutes to someone and that your choices are like, oh, well, JR, come on. Um, I think I would probably rather have Rondo on the floor uh, at this point. But would you in a Rocket series, though? That's a tough question. It's a very tough question. I don't know who like who who are you making beat you if you're the Lakers, by the way? Who is the, the like you're going to have to go into those the, those games thinking, okay, OK, well, that's the guy we're helping off of. I mean, I, I, is I, it like, I think it's PJ. Yeah. It's not. It's not. It's not Ben McElmore. That's for damn sure. It's, I don't. Yeah. I mean. I mean. Is it, I mean it, uh, whenever he's in the great game, Jeff Green is going to be that guy. Yeah, I would. I would say so. And I could. I could imagine there being some motivation from LeBron's perspective for that, or some experience, let's say, to tie back on about that. Though he has looked better in a Rockets uniform than he has in a couple years. Though again, Jeff, there's there's nothing like Jeff Green it, it getting another fan base to buy in. At some point, uh, I think you're being unfair. I think Jeff Green is actually the last couple of years has been a has been a a solid NBA player. Um, you know, he's been he's been a kind of a a a, a decent minimum vet guy who yeah, is who's, uh, who's done well. I'll, I'll concede that. I'll concede that. I think that's fair. Yeah. Well, and also like one of the benefits for D'Antoni in that series is he knows exactly what he has. There isn't going to be. Any sort of adjustment of, oh, crap, I'm going to have to throw this guy in the fire. It's not going to work, and we're going to lose those minutes, and then I realize I can't play that guy. Like, th- that's <laughs> The great experimenter of Mike D'Antoni. Is, yeah. is, no, it's not a problem they're going to no, have. It's not a problem they're going to have, but the Lakers, I mean, 
do they try Quinn Cook and Caruso and like outside of their main guys? I think they're going to throw a lot of guys. I mean, this, all of their centers. I think that that could be another another example of that. Um, so yeah, I think that I'm getting very excited for that potential series. I'm plenty more to talk about with Seth, but first a message from Bet Online. There is no shortage of action going on with our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Sports are back. NBA playoffs are back, as you've been hearing about in this podcast. MLB is in full swing. UFC, boxing, NASCAR, and soccer all continue. And Bet Online has the best odds and lines for the upcoming games and matches. And remember to use the promo code PODCAST1, both for your sign-up bonus and to tell them that you came from us. And if you need more, Bet Online has simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC happening every day live for you to check out. And if you're looking for something other than sports, Bet Online has hundreds of live casino games, poker tournaments, and all the best props in the business. So visit Bet Online or use your mobile device and join now to receive your new welcome bonus and start playing today using that Podcast One promo code at Bet Online, your online wagering experts. The way that I'm thinking about the East right now, I'm kind of already moving ahead around. And that isn't meant necessarily as disrespect to the teams that are currently down in series and technically speaking, the Magic, who are not. It's just that I think all those series are kind of going in broad strokes as I anticipated. And so that means, I, especially with the neutral site stuff we were talking about before, I, I think I know where they're going. Do you disagree with that at all? Not really. Um... Like, I, I think the best example of that is, is probably Indy Miami, where those teams are closer than like the 1-8 one, the one and the 2-7, to be sure. But I have trouble figuring out how with this roster that isn't fundamentally changing between now and a week and two days from now that I I have trouble thinking of how this team because remember now if you've lost two games that means you have to go four and one or better to win the series I I could absolutely see them winning a couple games but I don't know how they go four and one wait which team are you talking about the Pacers okay I was like are you talking about Philly no No. okay oh yeah I mean it's (laughs) the same point but yeah Yeah, no it uh, um Honestly, like, yeah, I Miami's just a, especially with no Sabonis. Miami's a pretty bad matchup for for Phil, for Indiana. Um, like Turner is Turner. Turner kind of is has the problem that a lot of the the modern stretch bigs do is that his offensive game doesn't. You know, if if Miami wants to play. If Miami wants to play like Olenek and Bam, they can do that against Turner. If they want to play just Bam against Turner, they can do that. If they want to play Derek Jones at center defensively, they can do that against against Turner. So um, that like that just gives Spolster just has so many options in terms of the way to to attack them. Um, and I was actually in game two. I was I was disappointed when they did do the small lineup. Is then that the, the issue wasn't that they're there there that Miami was de- having defensive problems. They're having offensive problems because they were then they have a small ball lineup on the floor and then just going a very stagnant like you know spread ISO look with with Jimmy Butler at the top. So it's like oh well, Miles Turner can just kind of stand under the basket and 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 defend it then as opposed to doing anything to you know put them in motion. Yeah, um, but yeah, I think that that's like I, th- I feel like already two in the weeds of of Miami just is like better. Yeah, something that amuses me a little bit about Miami's small ball lineup. Let's say that let's say that's Derek Jones at center is not in terms of direct shooting, but in terms of where they are on the floor and where the ball is in their hands. You could make an argument that those lineups actually have worse floor spacing because Derek Jones Jr. just doesn't occupy. Like Bam, he doesn't space the floor, but he forces your center to a different spot. 
because if he has the ball, let's say, at the elbow, Miles Turner can't be standing underneath the basket. He has to be standing at the elbow with Bam, unless he's guarding somebody else, and then that creates problems. And then the other element with Miami that, and it's so wild that this happened via trade, is that they're one of the only other teams in the league that has enough wings, that has enough capability. They have all the wings. They have all the wings. And it is, yes, Andre Iguodala was not playing for the Memphis Grizzlies, largely with their permission. But it is pretty easy to argue that if, and and they didn't make the, the Justice Wins a trade for this year, but it is pretty easy to argue that if they made, that if that trade never happens, Memphis is in the playoffs, and I mean they're probably getting their butts kicked by the Lakers, probably down to down to zero right now. But I think windshielded my. Uh, <laughs> but I think with, the but I think the the other part of that is I think Miami's a materially worse team, and yes, Goran Dragic being so much better would make a big difference, and Tyler Hero has grown and everything else, and Duncan Robinson at points being seeming like the most destructive offensive player around that isn't named Damian Lillard, but. Though having Crowder, having Iguodala, even if they're not perfect players, it's just given them a, a much stronger baseline, especially defensively. And especially defensively. I mean, again, Crowder is not is a guy who uh, is a low 30s three-point shooter, but he's got that, that physical toughness to guard kind of up and down um, that, that, is, that is, you know, useful in these, in these playoff matchups. Yeah, absolutely. And... Have you given much thought to? I mean, it looks like it's going to be the second round of how a Heat Bucks series would look. Uh, I was, you know, looking into stuff kind of before the playoffs started. That was something that, from a Bucks perspective, kind of concerns me. Uh, just you know, like the the kind of first level analysis is, hey, the Bucks give up a lot of a lot of threes. Oh boy, Miami might be the best shooting team like in 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 the postseason with the lineups they're putting out there. Between Robinson and Hero and and Dragic and um, there's a lot of guys who can who you know Crowder um, who is not someone you can just leave open. I mean they have a they have a lot of they have, they they put a lot of pressure on a defense that doesn't always that that has to get out to the three point line. Um, so that that concerns me. The flip side is I am not entirely sure how Miami guards Milwaukee though. That is countermanded by the fact that Milwaukee's offense has been pretty mediocre the entire bubble. It has been. And I mean, I think we saw the Lakers get closer to right in their game, too. But the Bucks, you know, I, I mean, it helped that Orlando didn't make basically a single shot all game, it felt like. But they are going to need to get right. And Miami's going to come strong in that series. And, and I'm going to be very interested defensively. First of all, who does Bam guard? I think that's a, a, a very interesting question. But also... What does Miami try to take away, and what do they try to promote? And I could see them trying— I think they play a lot of zone. I think they play a lot of zone. That's what I'm thinking, too. I think they play a lot of zone, try to make some of the role players hit shots, try to have Eric Bledsoe make decisions and passes in tight windows— and all of those things can work. Absolutely. The Bucks have the talent to, to make it happen. But those are some really interesting bets against Milwaukee, especially when you have Miami's kind of Miami's personnel and their coaching staff. I, I think that yeah. could be an ugly series that Milwaukee wins, but I definitely think it's an ugly series. And the thing that again, the thing that worries me uh, is on some level, you appreciate the freedom that that the, the Bucks perimeter players have in terms of, uh, you know, let it fly. There's there's a lot of guys who have who who will take you know a pretty mediocre shot with 15 on the clock who aren't really great shooters 
Uh, and this is something that stifled their attempt at a comeback in game one of that series. And it's something that at times threatened to uh, Wesley Matthews just took an awful shot uh, today that that kind of I don't want to say, you know, I, I don't believe, believe in like momentum enough to say it kind of keyed an Orlando run. But it was at a point where Bucks get one more score and stop and the game is just definitely over, like, you know, heading through the fourth and instead. He comes off like a like a stagger, like a wide stagger, and like drifting to his left, shoots a twenty eight footer uh, with fifteen on the shot clock, and it's, it's you know okay, Chris Middleton can take that shot. Wes Matthews and Pat Connaughton and Dante Divincenzo and Eric Bledsoe and Marvin Williams and and Brooke Lopez and and whoever else can't. So you know Kyle Korver can, but you know can Kyle Korver be on the floor against Miami is a, is of course the flip side of that question. But the, the larger point is the bucks have guys who will take that shot and it's, it's kind of um, they started the season doing that and actually let Miami back into a game uh, their first home game of the season uh, by kind of doing that, like uh, taking those kind of quick, bad threes uh, and they gave up a 20 point lead and Miami won in overtime. And, uh, they they largely cut that tendency out of their game for the you know the 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 stomping portion of their regular season um, and then but in the bubble it's kind of been back and you combine that with the fact that it seems like teams have really figured out a little bit how to in the half court at least you know do the boxes and elbows thing and and make life at least difficult for Giannis when he just comes straight down the middle. Do you, do you um, want to explain yeah. the boxes and elbows thing to people, just briefly? Oh, sure. Yeah, so it's basically, I mean, it it, it, it almost looks like a 1-2-2 two, two zone where there's a, like, Giannis' guy is picking him up, you know, at the at, at the arc, and uh, the other four defenders, you know, the Bucks tend to play five out. The other four defenders are just, like, you know, pointing at their guy out on the perimeter, but there's two of them are standing on the elbows, two of them are standing on the low box, and if the Bucks want, want to kick, if the, the, the Bucks want to kick the, the ball out to, you know, a guy on the wing, then the the guy on the elbow sprints out at him, but he's not, you know, uh, more standard defense would be, would be kind of more kind of two thirds towards, towards that guy looking to help in rather than starting, uh, kind of starting, uh, in a, in a shrink is kind of the, the terminology a lot of teams use. Yeah. So they're, they're basically starting already shrunk to the middle. Um, and you know, what ended up happens is, is, you know, I think this is where Giannis is picking up a lot of his offensive fouls is like running straight into that defense. Yeah, and it I mean when you think about the imperative for defense, it's slowing down Giannis and slowing down that action. And you you he if he can't create the advantage like it's kind of already created, I think that's a little bit different. And yeah, I, I'm interested in how the role how the role players work. I'm also very interested in how Chris Middleton would fare in that series. I mean, Miami has a lot of guys to throw at him. Middleton can absolutely make shots over tough uh, over tough covers, but they have they have a lot of guys his size, and you can imagine that outside of Giannis, Middleton will be the the priority of that group. Like, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Jimmy Butler on him, or they could go in a lot of different directions. And then theoretically, if Middleton's creation load, let's call it, is limited, and that's been a, a real strength of his this year. I think that they, you know, the one of the underrated parts of Middleton's All NBA case is how well the Bucks fared when he was on the floor and Giannis wasn't, but. Puts more on Bledsoe, puts more on Wes Matthews, puts more on DiVincenzo, and maybe George Hill. And those guys aren't great, you know, dribblers, creators, like all those kinds of things. They're, they're talented players. They fit well within the system. And that's that was my big criticism of the Bucks letting Brogdon go and a, a couple other things. It's just that when it bogs down, who does it? Who does the ball end up with and how, what kind of shot can they create? 
and and I think the priority for the Bucks and the rest of the Orlando series is to get Middleton going a little bit, um, so that he is that. So you know, we've seen it in 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 various playoff series in the in the past where he's he's kind of he has been sort of a fear of God kind of player uh, for the for opposition and. If he's not that, then it's it becomes even easier for teams to you know shrink the floor on on Giannis, and then okay, you've got a bunch of thirty two percent three point shooters. Go ahead. Uh, anything else in that? I was thinking about moving on to the other potential Eastern Conference second round series that we're seeing, and that is Celtics Raptors. Delicious. It is delicious, and I, yeah, having Gordon Hayward looking like he'll be out for all of it that does put a, a damper on the festivities. But I'm still ludicrously excited about the possibility. I've been salivating over that series basically since the Bucks ran wild on everybody and looked like that was going to be the two three. Yeah, no, it's a, that's a it's an extremely exciting series, and and you know the the uh, the, the Tatum Siakam debate is sort of. Uh, um, Given the composition of of kind of the basketball media uh, and the fact that Toronto is in Canada, it is it's just it seems like it's just sort of assumed that Tatum is better. <laughs> um, I, I'm kind of interested to see. I'm not sure. I'm not sure who I would who I think is better in that matchup, and I'm not sure who I I think is going to get the best of that matchup. Um, well, and and that's you know that's just one part of it. I mean, there's there's just delightful matchups all over the floor, whether it's Kimba Walker and Kyle Lowry. Or you know, the, the Marcus All and 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 Daniel Tice is, is kind of a kind of an interesting like matchup of of crafty Euro centers. What what interests me the most right now is Boston has been able in the Philly series, especially with Ben Simmons being out. They've been able to get a very specific kind of type of shot, especially against when the Phillies been in the heavy drop coverage. They've been able to get something very specific, you know, these kind of off the dribble shots, especially yep. Kemba Walker driving. Those spigots are going to be off largely against the Raptors. And they, Boston has the ability to do plenty of other things, but they're going to have to. And so what I, yeah. what I like a lot about this series is that it's – it's basically a whole series premised on the idea of what counterpunches do you have, or are you so good at what you do that that you don't have to? And I think both of these teams offensively aren't good enough to do. I think both these teams are good enough defensively and not good enough offensively to get their primary objective done against this defense. But I'm very interested then in okay, that doesn't work. Where do we go? And I've been freaked out about Toronto's offense this entire season, and that's been why I've been a little bit lower on them, despite you know loving the roster, thinking Nick Nurse is an awesome coach, everything else. And I'm still like that, but that's the thing that the Gordon Hayward injury shifts a little bit for me is that Boston, I don't think they have some of those looks, like where, especially where they have that critical mass of like capable ball handlers and scorers when Hayward's out there with Tatum and Kemba and Jalen Brown. The, those things are a little bit different with Marcus Smart. Their defense is going to be nasty, but the the offense is going to flow a little bit differently. Yeah, and it, I think I think it's it might be one of those series that goes seven games and every game is a blowout because whichever be. team kind of no, it, it, no this, I, is, I, this is like it, it's it's the pure you know our favorite thing of feedback loops. It's it's both teams you know are so much you know more better equipped to be a a transition scoring team that the team that that you know is able to kind of get that upper hand and, and start, you know, getting some, getting the transition buckets that, that, that will effectively like tilt the floor in the series. And then, so one game, it's going to be one team starts that way. And so they're playing, you know, they're, they're playing fewer possessions against the set defense and the, the opposition is playing against the set defense and can't score. And that leads to more fast breaks the other way. And, 
and the next game will be the other way. Um, so I think it's it's going to be, uh, I you know, it, it might be just one of those really weird series that's very close, but the the games themselves might not be. Um, though I, you know, as a, from a, a neutral perspective, I hope they're all close. But I think we've occasion we occasionally see that where it's it's like teams sort of trade blowouts. Right, and it, and it makes sense with these teams because the easiest way for them to get offense is in transition, and so yeah. I, I think I think you, yeah. you you could really be onto something there. But yeah, I'm really I am really excited about that, and I, I, I mean I think that's it's it's weird in these to already be looking ahead when we're four days in, but that's also kind of the where where these things are, and I don't think that's <laughs> that's what we do. I don't think that's some sort of dramatic surprise. And once you kind of, like, I mean, the discovery part of this is the most fun, at least for me. And I think it's the same for you. And I think that in a lot of these series, but not all of them, like the discovery part of it is mostly done. And now you get into the kind of the waiting room part of this. And I think that it's also, as you got into in the beginning, but I think it's worth emphasizing because this is such an anomalous situation, is that I think that disparity is is only more prominent because of the lack of going home for the road team game three like the the lower the inferior c game three and so now it's just why like as you said like in the in the miami indiana series like why should we expect or actually i think that was the okc why should we expect things to be fundamentally different and so miami is going home though too yeah i guess that's true you know that, that, yeah, that, they're, they're that gonna, mythical. Are, are they going to are they going to have their um their virtual fans come partway through the first quarter and then how leave the fourth? Fits a how, how dare you? When the champagne. are they going to put? Yeah, are they going to put like white t shirts on the empty chairs? And like we, uh, you know, have the 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 uh, <laughs> if the virtual fan seat hasn't been filled. <laughs> I mean, they want to give Miami a home court advantage. There we go. Yeah. Oh boy! But yeah, I'm, what do you think of that? By the way, just before we like, that's been one of the weird things. Is I'm you know, as, as the sample size grows, and and you know that it's the, I guess home team like the quote home teams are through, through sixteen games or twelve and four if I have that right. Well, or no, eleven and uh, uh, I think the, eleven and five. Uh, eleven and five, yeah. But um, well, so what? That's I think, also yeah. What I what I'm interested in is the next set of two games because yeah. then that's are the teams that are worse. Are they going to be winning more quote unquote home games? What I think makes the bigger difference, but is, we, but I, but we've seen there be there there be an apparent home court advantage. Yeah. Is it just noise? Is there something going on? I think there might be a little bit of kind of the comfort of it's. I don't think it's the the fan part of it. What I think it is is it might be they brought in a lot of like the audio cues and all that kind of stuff. It might be that you kind of get into a little bit of a mental rhythm there. It might be that that the, all the sounds are or as many of them as they could do are familiar to you. It, that might make a difference. I'd be interested to hear a player talk about that. There's been a lot about the virtual fans. I think I'm more interested in the production elements of it. You know, like that they sometimes have their have the home town announcers do some of the calls and all that i, I think that might be a, a little bit of normalcy that's interesting uh mike prade had a had a article today talking about the um the overall rise in offense and and he you know he quoted mike d'antoni making a point that i felt like really stupid that i hadn't thought about which is you know part of the reason players are shooting better and players are shooting a little bit better um you know in in the bubble is yeah you're playing in the same gym every single night yeah and it's not a, and, and it's not only that, but like I think back, I think a lot of the converse, which is the I because well, I went four times or three times, was how 
Final Fours always have terrible shooting, at least at the very beginning, because nobody's used to playing in a football stadium. And so this is kind of the bizarro of that, where not only is it not a football stadium, but it's also the same one you're playing in every time. And so it makes sense that they're getting into a rhythm, that they don't have all the other distractions. And yeah, it's it's pretty exciting. And I think you could make it. We'll, we'll see how this goes over the next two to three weeks. But who benefits more from that? Is it, you know, is it, let's say, Utah, that some of their lower-end players are maybe that, that bumping them up makes, makes them more viable? Or is it that Duncan Robinson will just not, not miss threes very much ever again? Like, I, I, I'm interested to see where this goes. Yeah. Anything else that's really striking you? I mean, people can read, of course, your, your daily pieces at The Athletic. So, I mean, if you're missing anything, I think you can you could definitely find it there. But is there anything that, like, is really speaking in your brain at late late in the day on a Thursday that's, that's like, hey, I want to make sure everybody knows this? Uh, this is this is a lot of basketball we've been watching. Uh, and that's not a complaint. That's just an observation. It's, it's and going it's to feel largely... like so much less once this round is over. Yeah, and it's, it's – uh, I, I feel I'm happy that it's been, generally speaking, pretty good basketball in the games that the that the the whistle has has been has had a later touch. Um, that's the one thing I still really hope we see as this goes on is for whatever reason, just, you know, everyone is fine with players being a little bit demonstrative. Everyone is fine with a little bit of contact ever like you know, I don't think there's been a single game, at least certainly in the playoffs, that has seemed chippy. Has there been? Am I have I am I missing something? There was a little bit of chippiness in Game One of of Mavericks Clippers. There was, but there's a sort of one incident, and that yeah, it wasn't and that, overall. And that, it wasn't overall chippiness. That's true. Yeah, you're right. And that be, and then and the only reason that like became a thing is because like the 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 miss a call quick tech combo that happened early in the game, and it's you know. What what are we doing here, guys? Like we're trying to we're trying to put the best TV, literally the best TV product, because that's all that matters. On and and you know anyway, I'll yeah. I'll save that soapbox for another time. But it it just I I would hope that we we you know just let it breathe a little bit. The game one of the game one of the of the Lakers Blazers game was was um you know. Uh, multiple pitching changes in an inning, unwatchable at times. <laughs> That's true. Um, because of because of how much how many whistles there were. So clean that up, guys. Yeah. That's. That's all I'll say about that. And I, like, I'm not even saying it's been like unfair. It's just been a lot. It's just yeah. been it's been weighty. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking time. Always a pleasure, my friend. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Seth Partnow for taking the time to come on. You can read his excellent work at The Athletic, and as I mentioned, he's doing daily write-ups, which are really invaluable, whether you're watching a lot like I am or you're watching less. And you can also listen to him on Nerdish Road and wherever he's doing appearances. It's great to have his voice back in the media, and of course you can follow him on Twitter at Seth Partnow, S-E-T-H-P-A-R-T-N-O-W. Love having him on, and I'm interested to see where this goes. I, it, I'm recording podcasts with Seth and with Nate in pretty quick success session and but I think both are going to talk a fair amount about this idea of the difference in games three and four in this setting and previous ones and we're going to learn a lot over this time about the value the importance of neutral sites and how series turn differently and I think it's going to be dramatic that is my instinct I don't know that for sure that's the fun of this is that nobody knows but we're getting into that and you can also, I mean, it's fun. There'll be a lot of ways that you can hear me and, and see my stuff coming up. 
But first, the ways you can support this show. You can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player of your choosing. It's a great way to have people find the show. Also, of course, word of mouth. If you like a single episode or the series in general, tell people about it. It's a really nice way to support us, but also hopefully tell other people about something they'll like. Also, subscribing, downloading every episode. That's very important. Whatever podcast player you're using, whether it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anything else, you can get into the habit there and then it'll just pop in because you can never know when an episode's going to come out. Hell, I didn't even know when we were going to record this episode until pretty soon before we did it. So then you can't know when it's coming out. And the single most important thing you could do for this show and any other that has them is to check out our sponsors for this episode that is Bet Online. Use the Podcast One promo code for a sign-up bonus and, of course, to tell them that you came from us. A lot going on in my neck of the woods. The NBA Cast League Pass version is now done for this season. There are no more National League Pass games, so we can't do that anymore. It was such an amazing opportunity to get to do 10 of those. And then we did the 11th, which was for International League Pass. TBD on that part of it, but there are no more National League Pass games, so if you're an American listener to this show or to exp- watcher of that, can't do it, but it was a fabulous experience, and Nate and I are so happy that it happened, and who knows where things are moving forward, but I'm ex- I, I was thr- it was a dream to be able to do to do that. Also, we're going back to the traditional NBA cast, be rolling through those over the course of the weekend, and getting back into the hope, back, back into the swing of it, but part of the reason that we didn't do that as much was because we were putting the finishing time and then launching what we're calling Dunked on Prime. And it has been a challenging decision-making conversation process for Nate and I on what to do with Dunked on. Basically, the practical realities of it is it's very hard to advertise a show five times a week if that is your primary source of, of income. There are just there just isn't that deep a well of potential sponsors, unfortunately, at the moment, at least for us. And so that's what led to the decision to split it, to do one episode a week that will be fully free, and then four that will be for Dunked on Prime subscribers only, and they will also, of course, get the fifth episode with no ads. So it is a great way to support us. It is a way to also theoretically open up new avenues in terms of podcast timing and structure. There's a lot of things. Like we're, we're thinking about all the things we don't have to do now being less constrained by the structure in terms of emergency pods and bunching things together and everything. We're working on that. That's going to launch in early September, so not too far away. You can check out, uh, I've tweeted out, and um, Need of Course has as well, the link to all that. It's through Supporting Cast, and the feedback has so far been very positive, which is heartwarming to say the least. Also, of course, Dunked On still before that point, we're still going strong five times a week. And my written work is at The Athletic. My, I like to call them my solo off-season previews are going strong. I hope to have all of the non-playoff teams up before the first playoff teams are eliminated. And then those will start rolling out pretty quickly. I'm very happy I got a good start on those before the playoffs started. So we'll get there. And then I'm also doing collaborative work with Seth and Dave Dufour, which will continue through the uh, through eliminated teams as well. It has been an absolute blast to do those two. And I think of them as different parts of the same whole. And that's some, something else you get with the subscription to The Athletic, which we're also doing a com- combination um, subscription for Dunked on Prime. If you, if you haven't gotten The Athletic yet, that's probably, if you're interested in Dunked on Prime, the best way to do it. 
If you have any feedback on this show, good, bad, or different, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get that to me. Twitter can be ephemeral. Email, it pops into a specific place in my inbox. I will take the time to read it. I'll try to respond, but I will read it. That is my promise. And thank you so much for all the support. This has been a fun week because of all the basketball. It's been a challenging week in terms of the, the launch and everything else like that, but it's also been a very fulfilling and rewarding one. And excited to see where everything goes from here. But thank you so much for the support. Take care and make it a great day.